0: What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Forbidden Technique Podcast with your boys Silas and Christian. I'm hoping new music should be ready by the time this episode actually comes out. So let me know if you guys are vibing with that. And today we are going to be mostly looking back at UFC 298. Uh, next week we got a fight night in Mexico, which uh, should be bangers top to bottom but it only has two fights that are really particularly worth talking about, so we'll touch on that at the end. But, you know, first we got we got some real shit to get into because um, it appears that the, the Volk era is at an end. Over 35, Curse is real, and Ilya Teporia is the fucking man. Knocked out Volk in the second round to claim the UFC featherweight championship in a fight that, as competitive as it was... Kinda difficult to see Volkanovsky coming back from, to be honest.
1: Yeah, I wouldn't expect a second fight to go better for him. I would expect it to probably go worse, especially since the party has the confidence of knowing that he can find the chin. Uh,
0: yeah, because yeah, it, it was um, it was a very close, a competitive fight for as long as it lasted. Uh, Volk took the first round on. All three cards, I thought, perfectly justifiably. And it was much the fight that we expected where uh, Ilya was doing a really good job enforcing his A-game on the front foot, uh, closing in behind his jab and putting combinations together to get Volk out of position to like punish him on his exits, track him down as he was trying to get out of the way. But Volk was also doing a really good job of kind of neutralizing Ilya Teporia on the back foot from a longer range. Very kick-heavy performance. Um, you know, the the inside low kicks to kind of jam Teporia's entries and a lot of left high kicks to keep the right hand at home. Uh, was sticking Teporia with his jab on, on entry. And it, uh, as soon as I thought Volk kind of had the timing and distance down and he was about to start taking over. Uh, Ilya just blitzed in with a huge combination, uh, got Volk to the fence, got him panicking and throwing back and clocked him with a huge right hook and uh, ended his fucking life.
1: Yeah, I am with you. I thought that the fight looked like it was starting to go towards Volk, but uh, he just kind of got like... I feel like you really just have to start fast against Tepuria because he does kind of let you get your way in the first round uh like he'll, he can he's still very dangerous always because he, he still throws in the first round he's just not trying to get any payoffs early he's, he's very patient so he'll, he'll let himself kind of just get a kick to the body not for free because he was like gaining ground with it but he wasn't getting any payoffs he was just setting up stuff for later uh in the pretty much entire first round he landed, like, some... Uh, I think he landed a good like couple leg kicks on Volk and, uh, like, moved him pretty hard with it. Uh, he showed that he he was wanting to get Volk to the fence and, and try and pay off on the moment. It's just, he just didn't land the shot in the first. I I think that it, it, they should do a rematch, just on, on merit. Like, you, you gotta give Volk a rematch, I think. But it, I don't think it would go differently. I think it, maybe Departee would even finish him sooner because... If Volk hadn't had his, uh, like, lost a step from the Islam knockout and just being kind of, like, weathered, like he's 35 and featherweight, uh, I, I think he would be fine if he hadn't gotten knocked out this time. But he's been knocked out twice in a row. I think that's going to take something out of anybody.
0: Yeah, I mean, obviously Volk deserves a rematch. And thing is, mo- most of the time, I'm... I'm not gonna look at a fight that's competitive as long as it lasts, and then someone just gets wiped out in a singular exchange and look at that and just be like, oh well, that guy just has his number, then that's how that fight just goes. Because theoretically there's there's a lot of like room to build on a fight like that. But it still just seems somewhat insurmountable for Volk to come back from you know, this is much like when we talked about uh Usman Edwards 3 or or a, a Grasso Shevchenko 2, where it's like, like yeah, the, the champ was up and then just got finished. So the temptation might be to just pick the champ in a rematch, but the you know the the whole ebb and flow of confidence and just general career trajectory always just makes it feel really hard to see the former champion coming back from that. And, you know, this was kind of a lot more decisive than either of those. It wasn't like Ilya Teporia was getting his ass whooped. It was a very competitive first round that Volk clearly won. Yeah, it feels a little bit like Volk was just starting to get going. And then Ilya Teporia just suddenly decided to really press the issue and he just won by knockout immediately.
1: Yeah, and he set it up real fucking well. He he had he had gotten to the body prior. Uh, he he had, like found his moment to where he wasn't bouncing diagonally off the cage as much as he was like bouncing right back into him. So like he, he still even if he didn't knock him out with that shot, he probably had like a huge follow up ready. You know, like you could see the way he was loading up. He was he was ready to keep going.
0: Yeah, and Volk was out bad. He was slumped against the cage for a good while. It just not not that I think it should take anything away from this win. It did kind of suck to see this happen directly after a fight where Volk got knocked out um, in a super short notice fight, upperweight weight division that he never should have taken. Yeah, it's just it's just like if 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 this is really how the Volk era ends, that's just kind of lame, you know.
1: I think it's fitting, and uh, I, I really wasn't upset by the knockout at all. Like, I saw a lot of people very sad about it, but I'm just happy to have a new guy around because he's, he's fucking 26, and he... You know, you were mentioning uh, there's a lot that Volk could build off of, but and I agree, but what the fuck's he going to do about how much stronger Tapurio was than him? Yeah, which is crazy. Or how Tapurio seemed to not really give a shit about any of the offense Volk was throwing at him. He was more just... He like he was taking the the kicks to the body and arms and shit, but Volk's not a guy that's really gonna hurt you with if he goes high with it,
0: you know? Yeah, this is this is the issue that it um despite all of the success that Volk can have, it's just so hard for him to genuinely command the respect with his offense that he needs to actually shut Taporia down. Yeah, he
1: tried to a sunset without having the power advantage, which is just Fool's gold.
0: Yeah, I mean, Taporia, he's an absolute physical specimen, and he's he's just brimming with confidence in the prime of his life. You, you, you're never going to be able to just to just stop him from trying.
1: And uh, Taporia hadn't gotten his jab going too much. He he had been trying, but it's just very hard to out jab Volk if you're not faster than him. And I've seen people talk about Taporia's speed, but I've always kind of seen him as a little. Not slow, but he like he's not fast. I always felt like power is his, his main weapon and how much torque he gets into his power punches. Like the knockout against uh against Jai Herbert was disgusting, but it wasn't how fast he hit him, it was that it was a completely clean through shot where he twisted his entire fucking torso. Like and flipped it from the left hook to the body, like it was a left hook to the body that wound him up, and then he did a full one eighty and fucking rocked the guy's head and, and like spun it around. That that's not that's not him being fast. That's him hitting really fucking hard and having good mechanics for for killing someone. So vulcan can build off some things. Like uh, he, he he was doing well with the the left kicks. Uh, He was getting good success uh, disrupting Ilya as he tried to step in. He he was doing the thing he he tried to do against Max Holloway in all of his fights, or all of their fights, where you destabilize the lead leg so the guy can't really plant to throw big power shots. But Tuporia, as as time went on, just stopped respecting the inside leg kick and started trying to walk through it or or step deeper so that uh, Volk has to abandon it really quickly and and, and normally try and run out of the pocket.
0: This is the thing, is that Ilya Tuporia just has the horsepower to be able to not respect stuff like that because no matter what someone like max holloway wants to do he's not a huge single shot puncher he needs to be able to like avalanche on people and if you can kind of just stop that first little stone from ever getting rolling then it, it it's a lot harder for max holloway to do that and you know he, he had to he had to really set up his shots very well to be able to hurt Volk in singular moments in their second fight, and it you know, wasn't enough to get Volk out of there. Whereas Deporia, like I said, he can just kind of decide to say fuck it and go for it, and whatever he's going to do is going to be potentially life-ending. Yeah, and
1: he was finding good moments to land bits of attrition. Uh, like There was a couple of body shots he landed in the clinch where the commentary team just completely disregarded it because Volk landed two knees, kind of. But Volk, like, got two kind of shitty knees, and then Tapuria ripped, like, three huge uppercuts to the body uh, while while Volk had a collar tie. And, and Volk was trying to collar ties throughout the whole fight, and it was working to defend the overhand pretty well. But Tapuria will change it up. He'll, he'll go right hook. He'll, he'll go to the body. Uh, he'll, he's also, like, fucking strong enough to just kind of disregard uh, if, if you get a collar tie on him if he really wants to just sit down on a shot. Uh, it seemed like Volk was really just trying to scare Tapuria off for the first time in the fight and got slumped. Because he had been trying to, to land some good shots, but like you said, he, he was talking about feeling like he was just kind of getting into the flow of it. I feel like that's probably why he sat down on a huge shot, because he he was it wasn't going to be a very good shot because it was positioning, but he was trying to, to land a good, like crisp, quick shot to get Tapuria to kind of stop coming at him, but that's not going to work. <laughs> uh, or, or he now should know that that's not going to work. you you got to just keep stifling his offense until he's tired. I, I think that is, is going forward going to be the key to victory against Tapuria is make him go at a pace that he can't maintain and then be around whenever he's he's faded. Because he is so good about not taking too many steps back He's very good about staying on the front foot. His A game is just so imposing that you have to respect it and you cannot stop him from doing it. You can only slow, slow it down. Like, if I was to imagine, like, the craziest fight imaginable, it, it would probably be, like, prime to Puria and prime Connor. Because that shit would be insane. Because it's two guys that fucking hate going backwards, amazing at stopping themselves from going backwards, and I, I think that's the type of fighter that would bring something out to Prairie that would just make him like fight hard and grapple in the first round. And if someone can just kind of meet fire with fire and hang in there long enough, I think that uh, I think that he is a lot worse going backwards.
0: Uh, yeah, and this this was exactly what we were saying is that. Volt could definitely have success off of the back foot, but Teporia's mechanical and defensive deficiencies only really show up when he gets forced backwards. But that's just so fucking hard to do. And having seen this, it's kind of like, how do you even go about that if you don't have any kind of physical advantage where you can you know, hit Teporia back with something that he doesn't like or get into a clinch where, where you can impose a strength advantage Because, like, as you say, Ilya Teporia looked dramatically stronger than Volkanovski, and Volk seemed to be roughly at strength parity with Islam Mikashev.
1: I think a big part of that is that uh, Volk's just a lot stronger up at lightweight, and and also he stays stronger longer than most other lightweights because he's just got crazy fucking muscle endurance. So I think if they fought at lightweight... uh, Vulk would actually have the the route to victory of just grappling with Tapuria until Tepuria is tired. But at featherweight, I just don't see that as an option. I, I because Tapuria was so much stronger that he he could just fucking flick him off of him. Uh, if if he really needed to get up, or or just stop something, because anytime he wanted to stop being in, in a situation, he just left it.
0: We only saw the first like round and a half of this fight. Maybe if Vulk can sustain that kind of thing for long enough to actually get Teporia a little bit tired then he can start being a little bit more imposing and actually winning tie-ups and pushing Teporia back but you got to force a pace that Teporia can't sustain and not get fucking killed during that process yeah Teporia comported himself very well over five rounds against Josh Emmett but that was in a fight where he got to do exactly what he wanted the entire time
1: the fight was honestly a little bit like uh, like Hendrix GSP uh, conceptually in that it's – uh it, 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 with the exception that instead of having a really good reactive double, he has a good cage double. And I think that Volk not having the greatest reactive double does kind of hinder him in fights where he's going to be get put to the cage a bunch because people love selling out on huge shots even whenever there's a chance of a reactive double <laughs> – and if Volk had a, a better takedown arsenal for, like, stopping pressure, I think that would help him a lot. Because he, he was in, like, perfect position to shoot for a takedown against Tapuria, He just really didn't because Tapuria has crazy fucking hips and he probably didn't think it was worth it. And Volk doesn't normally react with double people. He likes to to throw a few punches at you, get you up to the fence, then shoot or, you know, get you in a clinch and then find some something there.
0: Yeah, now the one time that happened, Taporia just like easily shucked him off. So, um, yeah, I agree. This didn't bum me out because it's really refreshing to see a new champion where it genuinely felt like the beginning of a new era in the division. Like if uh, if Mike Goldberg was here, he absolutely would have said, "Welcome to the Ilya Taporia era." <laughs> We're really in an era of the UFC where almost none of the champions feel safe at all. You know, go go look at everyone who currently holds a belt in the UFC, and tell me how many of those people that you think uh, are are going to stay champion for any reasonable length of time. Whereas Ilya Tepori, you know, you look at a performance like this, and you look at the rest of the division, and it's like, man, this guy really might be poised to be the next great featherweight who can hold the belt for a really long time. But at the same time, um. Everybody loves Vulcan. He's been such a great champion. It it, it was still just seeing him getting slumped like that was a little bit like, ah,
1: I get that. I am just getting the fun emotion because I'm like, oh, nice. We have a a guy that's going to stay around for a long time. Also, uh, a fight we're going to talk about later is one that really, uh, one of the fighters there that I'm going to be picking, I think has an incredibly fun matchup with Tepuria that is liable to to find a lot of holes in Tepuria's game or showcase some very strong points that I, I could be wrong about.
0: Well, we'll get to that, We I guess. will get to that. Yeah, not uh, nearly as much to say after the fact than there was going into this fight. So I guess we'll just get on into the co-main event. Now, Christian, since last week, you blamed me for apparently talking you into picking... Uh, Andre Filio for Danny Ige. I am absolutely going to blame you for planting the idea in my head that Paulo Costa was ever in any way capable of beating Robert Worker.
1: Well, he made it look like he has a good chance. He fucking wheel kicked his ass. And, and I think it's a fight where if both guys were in their prime, Rob probably comes through with a win still. But this one, Paulo looked so much better than I expected him to look. I think if prime Paulo was, was in this fight, he would have gotten the knockout. And I wasn't picking him to be Prime Paulo. I just thought he was going to, like, hit hard. But he was just so fucking keyed in on throwing a left hook counter that fucking landed, like, twice.
0: Yeah, also, for all of the, like, crazy wars that he's been in and done well in, he really is someone who, if if he hits someone with their, with his best shots in the first round and they don't die and can keep enforcing their game, he just falls out of those fights. He does. It happened in the Yoel Romero fight. Was you know he was on his way to losing to Uriah Hall if Uriah Hall was just capable of keeping up that kind of performance. But also, Paulo had you know he he had the dog in him back then, and he was he he just didn't believe that he could lose, uh, and seemed to think that as long as he kept on coming forward and throwing back and enforcing his game, then he could pull the win out. Whereas in pretty much every fight since the Yoel Romero fight. Once that once the fight goes deep and he's been figured out, is he's a little bit like okay, I'll just lose then. I don't think he did that in this fight. Not necessarily. no. I,
1: I think he just had an idea of something that would work going into the fight, and he could not wrap his head around why it wasn't working because he kept trying. It to may go just be that. more
0: that he's bad at adjusting.
1: Well, that too, but he. He had this idea that the the like pull away arm punch left hook was just the fucking key to victory. I think he was watching the the Izzy knockout. Like instead of doing tape, he just watched all of Rob's getting knocked out clips and and just tried each of them except for the the Wonderboy one, which honestly was probably the one he had the highest chance of landing. If you just throw a jab there. And his jab was landing good. It it got some good damage off on Rob, but you need to throw it a lot more than that if it's landing that much. And throwing it wasn't what was getting him countered as much as uh, kind of resetting after throwing something was getting him hurt.
0: Well, and the thing is, Rob, he gets hurt with people's jabs when people force those overcommitted blitzes out of him. But whereas if you're just like plodding into the same couple of counters over and over again... Rob Whitaker can do that for 10 rounds.
1: Yeah, the fight was kind of if Kelvin Gastelum had wheel-kicked Rob once and then done nothing else. Because <laughs> he, he, like, people forget that Kelvin did like bust up Rob's nose because anyone who makes it five rounds with him busts up his nose.
0: Yeah, but he's still one of only two people who has fought Robert Whitaker since the Yoel Romero fights who hasn't hurt him at some point, Yeah, even, even if they lose really cleanly. Well, and he's also just not a great finisher if he can't overwhelm people. He, you know, he didn't, he didn't start looking for the perfect shot after that. He just kind of like threw hammers at Rob and then the round was over and he recovered. But, you know, I guess Rob Wicker is literally fine. Same guy. Uh, all of my comments about him being on the downswing, I guess ab- absolute cope for me trying to wrap my fucking brain around how do Plessy got the job done but at the same time you know as i say rob uh, wicker routinely gets badly hurt by people dramatically worse than him and that time he just got finished but this one he said he got fucking he got wheel kicked heel to the jaw while he was bouncing like moving backwards both feet off the ground and he was he was just fine yeah,
1: it, it the fight proved to me something, and it's, uh, or it didn't prove anything, I guess. It just reinforced it, that looks mean fucking nothing sometimes. Not always. The eye test is normally very reliable, and the, the more you know about fighting, the more reliable it is. But sometimes it just doesn't fucking matter, because you look at Paulo Costa, and as you were saying uh, the other day, if you look at Paulo Costa and look at Dracus Duplessis, you'll say, oh, well, Paulo Costa is much, much better. He seems like a clearly better fighter. But sometimes fucking looks just don't matter because Drakus managed to knock out Rob pretty comfortably in a fight that looked like it was a replicable way that it could end. He has good timing on an intercepting jab and Rob is liable to get fucked up by an intercepting jab by a guy that's Hulk strong. Uh, Which Costa showed at a certain point because his hips looked fucking crazy. There was a a small grappling situation at one point in the fight and Paulo just, just hipped away from it. And then Rob was like, yeah, I'm not doing that again. That, that that was fucking stupid. This guy's strong as shit.
0: Yeah. I also think, um, Rob Whitaker seemed to have the right takeaway from the Dreykus DuPlessis fight because if you heard him talking about that loss and what he took away from that, he was essentially saying, yeah, I was out there trying to keep Dreykus off of me. I was trying to control the fight and uh, be defensive and neutralizing. Andricus was just out there fighting and he just wanted it more. And I think this is a move in the right direction for for Rob Whitaker because I think there was a pretty dramatic uh stylistic shift uh, in reaction to him getting knocked out by Israel Adesanya and I think him somehow managing to have a competitive fight with Darren Till was
1: him fighting some demons.
0: Yeah. Um, and, and it was him trying to figure out a more consistent, reliable, conservative way of just getting the job done. He's still good at doing that against uh, most of the matchups he's going to fight at 185. Yeah, at some point, you, you've, you've got to go for it. You've got to fucking scare people off. You've got to push the guy back and actually enforce your game. And I think he did that a lot more. Like, he was still. Like he was moving backwards a good bit in this fight, but I don't think he was getting pushed well, back yeah, in the was, same was... way. He was, he was, he, he was, uh, you know, he was taking backward steps to keep himself at a range where he could reliably just force Caster to initiate an exchange that that Rob could then just get a couple of really quick counters off of. But he wasn't like like conceding ground for no reason and getting pushed on the cage and getting punished for his exits. Apart from the one time where he nearly got knocked out with a wheel kick, but solid performance all round. I thought.
1: Yeah, my my criticisms of of Rob generally have have sometimes come off like I have a problem with a lack of variety. When it's more a problem with a lack of depth in what he he tends to show. And this fight, I feel like has recalibrated me on him because he brought out some counter punching. He was like punishing Costa's jab. He was uh, like finding like nice jab placements to stop Costa from advancing and, and pressuring. He didn't throw the right head kick that much the whole fight, but it was a threat the entire time, and he, he did throw it a little bit. I just think that was – I think he is not
0: uh, – Bought the low kicks out, which was a good read that you don't see in a lot of Rob Whitaker fights, but, but def- definitely good against someone who just wants to come forward and plant their feet to get big exchanges.
1: Yeah, and I think that uh, his right head kick is just kind of – it hasn't been fine-tuned lately. He he hasn't like had anyone that it's it's been just the play against or anyone that's allowed him to really get his right head kick off because he does like to do it whenever you are moving backwards, even if he is being pressured most of the fight uh, or he's taking the back foot. He'll he'll wait for a second then just step in with a huge one two and throw a high kick. But he was just getting the payoff with the one two in this fight. He he didn't really even really need the high kick much. Uh, he was he was going for a lot more singles than he normally goes for, like just single jabs which is a good thing. Uh, Like he would, he would mix it up and and add the right hand behind it very well. And he, he was even counter punching in combination. He would throw a jab, wait for a counter, throw a right hand and then get out real fast. I thought it was like the deepest his boxing looked in
0: years. Absolutely. And yeah, I mean the the right head kick normally kind of comes in reaction to people trying to slip his straight shots. Um, and then this is the thing. if, once you have really keyed into the right head kick and not slipping, then he's just going to like keep your guard in place and stop you from throwing and then just be able to pick you off with straight shots repeatedly.
1: Yeah, he can punch around someone's guard pretty comfortably.
0: Yeah, this is the thing. If you just never actually adjust to getting hit by straight shots over and over again, then he really doesn't need the right head kick at all.
1: Yeah, uh, a criticism you could... Uh give towards Costas that he didn't go for the body nearly enough. The the body kick, definitely a necessary weapon he should have gone for. Uh, I don't think he was getting countered or uh, stifled enough to to justify how little he uh, tried to really pressure or swarm. I think at a certain point, especially from the second run on, he needed to, to start pushing forward. Because I don't think Rob has gas issues necessarily at this point. I think he just always gets kind of weathered, and I think when he's not, like, fully... Uh, I, I think in the first round, he's fucking hard to knock out. Like, like he's always difficult to knock out, but in the first round, he's especially hard to knock out. But once he gets a bit more into the flow of the fight, it's easier to trick him with something. Uh, or, or it's easier to just get him overconfident and, and crack him hard, because he, he does... He has a bit of an ego. Rob will think that he's he's fucking you up really comfortably, and then start doing some fucky shit, and then kind of get humbled by getting hit hard, and be like, "Okay, I got I got my nose bloodied by a jab by Kelvin Gastelum. I'll go back to fucking him up really easily. I'll stop pressing my advantages and just keep them exactly where they are."
0: This is the thing. I thought Costa. He looked good physically, and he still competed in this fight. And he, he still looked fast, strong, and powerful. Um, and he had some good ideas, but just overall. He never really bought out the Costa, who I think had any chance of being Robert Whitaker. Even though he was trying to pressure, he was getting dissuaded, I thought, way too easily, and was perfectly fine with just having a technical ranged kickboxing match with Robert Whitaker that he was obviously going to lose every time. And, you know, there was a point in this fight where he needed to do what he did in the Uriah Hall fight and just fucking go for it, even if it meant getting killed. Uh, at least he would have given himself a chance of actually getting something off. As good a job uh, that Rob did of keeping himself off of the cage and sort of halting Costa's ability to swarm, I just don't think Costa actually tried that hard. (laughs) And yeah, he barely hit the body, which I guess was also because he was struggling to get Rob to the cage and he loves to rip that left hook to the body when he's got someone like pinned down. It's a very unique thing for me uh,
1: as a fight fan to be frustrated by, given that most fighters, they only have a round kick whenever their opponent isn't getting cut off from something. They just like throwing it at range. But Costa will fucking only throw it if you are against the fence and going off to one side. And it's really frustrating because... Just whipping the left body kick up from his stance would have been so useful because Rob was defending the head kick. It's, he just has a fast head kick, so it, it looked like it was getting closer than it actually was. And I think the fact that the crowd and the commentary all went "ooh, ah" every time they saw how fast Costa's left head kick was made him feel like a like a golden retriever getting a treat. Like, ooh, yeah, I am a good boy. I've got a, I've got a nice fast head kick. It, that wasn't even fucking doing anything. If he had been throwing that to the body, then you got something there. Because he needed some sort of uh, like longer tool to just kind of stick out there to stop Rob.
0: It wasn't stopping Rob from throwing his right hand, because because the right hand was almost always coming as a counter when yeah. Costa initiated with something else.
1: Yeah, and, that, and that's that's why you'd want to keep it at the body, because then... He doesn't even have it as a counter punch. Uh, if you like kick into it and then punch, you know it, it opens up your combinations a lot more than a head kick. That's likely to just kind of be negative because his left head kick was nice, but it only served to slow down Rob's like ascent towards beating the fuck out of him. In, in kind of the similar way to where where Rob's jab was mostly a function just to stop Acosta from getting any offense off, but you. Costa doesn't want the fight to be negative. He wants the fight to be as, uh, like, constant as possible for him to have a a strong win condition. So I just thought that was a really weird decision by him that he tends to make in a lot of fights that end up range kickboxing matches.
0: So, yeah, uh, love to see Bobby Knuckles back, putting on a solid performance against a top guy at middleweight. I guess this sets him up for a fight with Sean Strickland, which, despite what MMA math might have you believe, I think is a very good fight for Rob.
1: I think it is a good fight for Rob that he has a good chance of losing, but I don't disagree. I don't disagree that it is a good fight for him.
0: Yeah, I mean, I guess we'll talk about that when and if it gets made. Um, Ian Gary winning split decision over Jeff Neal. Not really sure what was going on there. I thought Jeff um, Neal won. Yeah.
1: Yeah, just a little bit. I didn't care, and I think that Gary had the the most clear round in the third round. So it like watching it live, I wasn't upset by it. I, I was like, yeah, either guy can win. But I thought Neil edged edged it and won the first two rounds. It's it's just hard for me because I I also am very glad that that Neil won because I'm a lot harsher on a guy that's been around the block a few times not coming forward and fucking a guy up than I am of a guy who's still in his kind of like prospect rising to contender phase uh, for for having a kind of tepid fight. Like, you know, Armin Sarukian is a, is about to fight fucking Charles Oliveira and got to a fight with Charles Oliveira by having a couple fights that were kind of mid. And, and Ian Gary is probably in, in that stage where his fights are kind of mid, and then he'll go back to being fun and really fast and a, a long, aggressive kickboxer if he gets into a good matchup. But... It's easy for me to to be annoyed by him with the the Neil Magni fight and Jeff Neil fights. He just can't finish a Neil to save his fucking life. I mean,
0: I mean, he is extremely annoying. And you know, Jeff Neil is uh, he's tough as shit. This was just a particularly flighty neutralizing performance from Ian Gary, which which is what I expected. You know, despite my picking Jeff Neil by knockout, just kind of on a vibe, I didn't really think it was the good pick to make, and I thought it was a lot more likely that Jeff Neil was probably gonna. Uh, follow Ian Gary around trying to punch him really hard in the head with his left hand. I just thought at some point it was gonna work. Uh, you know, it's not that he didn't get his licks in. Uh, you know, if, there, there there was still absolutely times where he was able to like force Gary out of position on a retreat, get him to the cage and hit him with something big. And you know, Gary had to show a He had to show some grit and toughness and just general, uh, consistency to get the job done wasn't awful.
1: In the first couple of rounds, uh, Neil got some good spots where he could get Gary to the cage or, or just step in real hard with a big shot. But Neil has too much of a problem of wanting to leave exchanges rather than let the other guy leave an exchange and punish him for it. Uh, which is, it sounds like just a style thing, but it's a, it's a genuine issue that you have to address in certain matchups like this because that's why he always gets kind of dog walked by anyone that moves
0: resets too much
1: yeah he'll reset for you you just have to defend the first couple shots he's not going to start putting more shots on you if you juke it, it how many times in the fight if you went back and watched it, it just guessing would you say that he had the perfect opportunity to to really land some good offense on gary but instead he threw a shitty check hook to close the door and then stepped out at an angle what probably like 15 16 times
0: yeah, probably. And you know, that's just that's just who Jeff Neal is. He is absolutely at his best when he's able to draw people onto his shots and he just hates having to track people down.
1: Yeah. He can track you down if he's hurt you. He's he's pretty good about doing that, but
0: Yeah. This is why I feel like it's more justifiable to criticize Ian Gary for this fight purely because uh, I feel that Jeff Neal's issues are very well documented at this point, And I feel think there's an obvious reason that Ian Gary chose this fight.
1: Yeah, I, I just, I always hold it against the guy that's more experienced.
0: Yeah, which is fair. But, you know, e- even if Jeff Neal is an experienced fighter who is obviously very good at what he does, for, for me and Gary's perspective is is like, well, you know, you're picking these matchups out.
1: Yeah, I believe I heard uh, Ian Gary at one point in lead-up say that it's not like much of a step up and I kind of agree with that, but I would just imagine Jeff Neal
0: lost to Neil Magny
1: that yeah, that for one, but, but it's really just a step up in that Jeff Neal is so much more anxiety inducing to fight than Neil Magny. Uh, Like it's hard to not be constantly worried for your health. And that's kind of why I get him being a bit more skittish against Jeff Neal. Like I hold the Neil Magny fight against Ian Gary still a lot. I hold that, the fuck against him uh, because he he should have finished the guy. He's he's a guy that gets finished by everyone good that he fights or everyone that's like him who he fights, you know? So you're just proving that you are not yet him if if you decision him. But Jeff Neal is hard to finish. I get going to a decision with him, whatever.
0: No, I mean, it was fine. It's just like, I, I just can't stand Ian Gary. Even, even though I think he's good, every time he has to cut a promo after having a kind of nip-tuck- fight where he did what he needed to do to get the job done and it was fine talking about hey he's the fucking guy
1: arguably losing
0: arguably losing calling out the the next guy who's ranked above him who's a fucking easy fight for him like who fucking cares about colby covington dude
1: well he called out colby like you said because that's a pretty fucking good matchup for him and it's a step up in a way because he hasn't fought a wrestler like that's as, as competent as colby he hasn't fought someone that is known for his pace which I'm. I think Gary's enough of a student of the game to recognize that uh, Colby's pace is kind of smoke and mirrors at this point.
0: I mean, surely everyone realizes that after that Leon fight. You'd think so, but there's still people that are like, "Oh, he was
1: just scared. That's why he didn't go hard." Which you know, two things can be true at once. Uh, I think it's a good fight to make. I guess it's. I mean, just looking. Oh, Colby won't take it. Probably not.
0: But. Or may- maybe he will take it just because he has so much ammunition for the press conference in this one.
1: <laughs> yeah, he he would just like do what Colby fans think is bitching someone at the press conference, and then lose tepidly, and then and then talk shit and say he won. It, it seems it's a pretty cut and dry uh, uh, strategy. I mean, I'm trying to I'm looking at welterweight and, like who's who else could he fight that's a step up? Ian Gary's what ranked like somewhere between six and eight now
0: um i mean honestly i think stephen thompson is like a, <laughs> it's like a more dangerous fight for him than colby covington
1: oh yeah i well i agree it's a more dangerous fight for him i just think that 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 makes no sense because it's like barely even a, a step up in rankings but it's a fucking four times harder fight and probably wouldn't even be that fun unless wonder boy makes it fun
0: yeah so so why would he and gary take that fight yeah why would you take that when he'd be probably beats the shit out of cup oh yeah i think uh, I would quite confidently pick him to at this point, but um, I think uh, regardless of the outcome of Gilbert Burns' fight with JDM, I would like to see Ian Gary fight Gilbert Burns.
1: I think that is fair because Gilbert needs another win before he's able to get a title shot. If he wins that one, and uh, if he loses, then that will just make sense ranking wise.
0: Or even just the winner of that fight, I- Ian Gary versus JDM. Yeah, JDM could uh, guarantee should have that guaranteed fight too. action yeah yeah
1: jdn will make the fight aggressive if uh if gary i mean I'm sure Gary will like do good offense if if they were to fight i i just don't think he would be the one pushing the pace or or being the reason the fight's going hard that is the biggest indictment on gary so far from my perspective is that i don't think of him as a guaranteed action fight like he's i think wants to be i think he wants people to hear he's fighting and be like oh i gotta fucking see that guy fight but for me it's more just to keep myself up to date with the meta and, like, what's going on, I'll watch his fights. But he, so far, he has is, he is impressed me enough to where I think he is deserving his ranking, but uh, I need to see more before I'm going to pick him in fights against, like, Shavkat or, or any other elite welterweight. Marab Devalishvili uh, bitched Tender over three rounds. Because Henry is was yeah. older than I remembered. I will apologize to the audience for that. I should have just refreshed myself on his age by looking at the typology uh, age thing. I, I I just forgot he was 37, and he, he looked every bit of 37 after the first round.
0: Yeah, I mean, I picked Murad, but I, yeah, I thought Henry Cejudo was like 34.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I would have still picked Cejudo because he he showed why I picked him in the first round. I just didn't know his cardio was shot. I haven't seen people mention that as much, but that was the biggest takeaway for me is that his cardio's shot and Murab is incredibly reliable and always going to be the same fighter. Like, Murab looked like Murab. I, I, I feel no new feelings towards him.
0: No, I mean, just obviously people see Cejudo Gas out kind of for the first time in his career in a fight with Marab, and they're like, oh, Marab's just a machine, yeah. you can't stop him. I and mean, this is absolutely true. You know, Marab is a physical force that is extremely difficult to deal with.
1: Again, two things can be true at once. Yeah, like, uh, Marab is a machine, and it is incredibly fucking difficult to stop him. And also, Sahudo stopped him for a round then gassed from his own pace.
0: Yeah, and watching the first round of this fight, I was like, wow, even I managed to forget about... Marab's fights with Jose Aldo and John Dodson that I kept reminding people of was just like, oh yeah, if you can actually just like... Crack him real fucking hard. Or or hard. have the threat in, in defensive takedown. In a weird way, like I was talking about with Max Holloway earlier, even though they fight nothing alike, Marab is still like... If if you can just stop that initial like snowball from getting going, he has had some really... Very low action fights where he couldn't take a guy down and was really worried about a strong counter punching threat. So, kind of just ends up winning by the thinnest margin possible by knees to the ass in the clinch up against the cage. And watching the first round and seeing kind of how much more cautious Marab was starting off and then seeing him get nailed with that right hand, I was like, oh, this is going to be one of those fights. And then, and then Sahudo just got gassed out and he got Marabed. I gotta say, even despite all, all of that, it was still pretty badass to see Murab just hoss Henry Cejudo into the air and carry him across the octagon like a child.
1: Yeah, yeah, I, I don't uh, hold this fight against Murab at all. Like, I don't, I don't think it's a. Uh, I'm not like, oh, he just beat an old guy. Uh, like, to a degree, yes. No, it's just but the same it, it's, guy we
0: thought he was. You know? He's
1: the, exactly the same guy I thought he was. I already rated him pretty highly, but I rate old Cejudo a lot worse than. <laughs> Like, like, I I thought it was a pretty good win, but I'm not going to be thinking about this on Murab's resume anytime soon. It'll be like, oh, yeah, he beat, like, the worst-looking Henry Sudo we've ever seen and got hurt in the first round. Because if you are uh, roughly range-parody with Murab, he will get into an exchange with you at a certain point and get fucking buzzed. Which is, you know, it's kind of endearing. I do, I like a, I like a hero with flaws.
0: Yeah, and uh, makes. Uh, a potential fight with either Sean O'Malley or Cheeto Vera, guaranteed excitement, you know?
1: Yeah. Uh, I, I think the Cheeto fight excites me a lot. I, the, the Sean O'Malley fight, I I think is actually a pretty bad matchup for Marab, uh, strangely. I think it's a worse matchup for him than Cheeto, although I would pick Cheeto. I, would, I think I would pick both fighters over Marab, uh, mostly just because, I mean, I'm just going to say, like, bias, probably. Like, I'm, I'm biased against wrestlers sometimes with picks, but... Uh, I, I, I think Marab has a lot he can, he can give to like any fighter at bantamweight, which is uh, not something I would have said like three fights
0: ago. No, certainly not when this guy was losing decisions to Frankie signs. No, but the,
1: the fight was kind of just like the Marlon rice fight, except if Marlon rice hit less hard and gassed as bad, but not as to as much of
0: a detriment, you know, yeah did that didn't implode when he gasped
1: yeah yeah like sujuto's still tough as shit when he's tired he he doesn't lose durability really it seems he doesn't uh he doesn't forget what he should be doing he just is worse at doing it
0: and as much as I believe he's physically capable of it, Sohudo is also kind of never really liked fighting a crazy clip. Yeah, which, you know, the only time I can ever think of Henry Cejudo really pressing the issue in that regard in a fight was when he was getting his ass beat by Marlon Marais and Marlon started to implode. Yeah,
1: they really just both had the same fight against Marlon, but Cejudo's more durable. Or, like, durable to big shots, at least.
0: Yeah, and Marlon was way more shot by the time he fought Marlon. Oh, yeah, yeah. Anyway, the the real pace bully of this card, Anthony Hernandez. That
1: motherfucker goes at
0: you. What a fucking warrior, dude. He is a savage. I, he's awesome. I love him.
1: Yeah, he, he stayed pretty fucking safe, all things considered. He got hit by a good kick to the body uh, in the first round, but you you can't just hit him with one good shot. Really, all that worried me in the fight was I was like, oh, fuck, Koppelov set up the head kick already. I see, I see Hernandez has a fucking lower hand now. His hand's, like, three inches lower. Dropped his
0: elbows, he's moving backwards. And then Kopalov was like, oh, I'm going to do the head kick, and then then missed it.
1: (laughs) Yeah, he did not go for the head kick nearly as much as he certainly should have, because even if you don't land it, you're still, like, establishing it. Like, he he could have done more with the threat of it, at least. Uh, I thought that was a bit of a fumbled bag by Kopalov, but then again, what are you going to do? Because Hernandez was on him so fucking immediately after the body kick that... uh, you didn't have much time to really think, oh, let me just be patient, kick him in the head.
0: Well, and this was this was just kind of what I expected as well because that's who Roman Karpalov is. As much as he's a sharp, accurate, pretty powerful striker, he really likes to build on people. He likes to set up really nice singular shots. And he came really close to finding that shot. But if you're not going to really press the issue, then uh, Fluffy will. Like you got to do what Kevin Holland did and actually just go up to him and fucking wipe him out and capitalize on anything that works for you. And then I also thought that um, Roman's defensive wrestling looked like vastly improved from his early UFC fights where he was getting trashed by Carl Roberson. Yeah, he has good takedown defense. He's just really bad on
1: on the ground at this point. Is my thought.
0: Yeah. Well, and and then the other thing is if. How good is your takedown defense gotta be to not eventually give up a takedown to Anthony Hernandez? Yeah, Hernandez is just such a
1: good fucking chain wrestler that he'll get a position that that forces you into a bad spot to defend the takedown from eventually.
0: And he will come at you constantly. You know, it's not like he has the prettiest striking in the world, but it's it's all just designed to push you back, make you feel uncomfortable. You know, there's a lot of just like running a couple of with shifting hooks. But there was a certain point in the fight where Kofilov just... He, he just hated everything that was happening and just had no way of claiming any initiative back because, like I say, he he wants to be at range, being a slickster. And um, if you want to do that against Fluffy Hernandez, you better just like absolutely murk him with a single shot because he he's just not going to play that game with you. Get this guy... A fucking good fight at midway. I like Roman Kopolov, but in terms of just like the level of the guy guys that Fluffy has been getting matched up with, it has been sidestep after sidestep since he like really deserved a good fight off of that crazy upset win over Hadolfo Vieira that was like was three and a bit years ago or something, like. I don't know why this keeps happening at middleweight and similarly it took Brendan Allen like a six-fight finishing streak or something to get booked against Marvin Vittori. Yeah,
1: and I'm thinking he should fight the loser of that.
0: Get Fluffy a motherfucking main event against someone good in the top 10. Ooh, he should fight Paulo Costa. That's a
1: good one. Middleweight isn't very booked up right now. Yeah, Vittori Allen is one of the only fights that's uh, that's really like set up right now and even then I wouldn't... Put it past uh, Hernandez to just fight the winner or loser of that.
0: Oh, I know who Fluffy should fight. Nasadine Imavols. He should.
1: I think he deserves more of a step up than that. But I, I do think he should get the
0: rankings wise. That's a noticeable step up, I believe. Imavols ranked eight right now. Or uh, Jacker Manson.
1: Jacker Manson's a good one. Again, isn't that a, a smaller? I, I guess that's a fair enough step up that they that they're more likely to actually give him.
0: Jackomanson's ranked nine right now, but uh, you know Jack Amanson's like enough of a name at this point that if they give you Jack Amanson, particularly coming off of a good win just having shut the door on another hot prospect, that's like you know, the UFC thinks you're gonna be a thing if they match you up with Jack Amanson.
1: Yeah, I, I, I tend to agree with that. I, I would like him to fight Allen at some point, because he actually has a win over Brendan Allen back in LFA.
0: No, I agree. That's absolutely one I want to see run back at some point. It's just that now they're actually like they're both on a good trajectory.
1: Yeah, I'd like them both to get one more fight before they fight each other.
0: Yeah, I want, I want to see how far those guys can actually go at middleweight, you know? So, um, yeah, Amanda Lemos versus Mackenzie Dern was a fight that, you know, I described very much as a two-true outcome fight. That I, I was just like, I just don't trust either of these fighters to get out of the first round with each other. And... It was a two true outcome fight where we just got both outcomes basically the whole time. I mean, you uh, you said that this fight uh, had a good chance of looking like um, Amanda Nunes versus Ronda Rousey. This fight w- was like that, but also like uh, Ronda Rousey versus Holly Holm. Because Amanda Lemos, you know, she, it's not like she has the slickest back foot counter striking game in the world.
1: Yeah, and she really doesn't like pressure and grapplers at all.
0: No, and she she's very she's very responsible at range and picks her shots well. Uh the problem is you've really got to give her those shots because she does not force errors out of her opponent in order to get counters off.
1: No, and I I fully think I know where Mackenzie Dern's punch power is at now. I think the things like my ability to to like Key, on, key in on when she has a chance of hurting someone is now perfectly calibrated because she just doesn't fucking hit hard if you hit hard. Seems to be it.
0: I mean, she still dropped Lamosh in the third round.
1: Eh. Like, yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean, it was kind of she knocked Lamosh over because she like caught her with a clubbing overhand while she was uh, on one leg throwing a kick. Yeah,
1: like, I don't think she's a, someone that's going to actually put power on someone and then. Uh, like, get anything done with that. I think it's really just if she fights someone that doesn't hit hard, her power is a threat. And if not, she's just going to get fucking clanged early over and over. I, If I remember correctly, I, I said that there, the fight had a good chance to go to decision, didn't I?
0: Yeah, I think so.
1: Yeah, I, I was just thinking Mackenzie Dern's really durable. And uh, she, like, Lamosh is a bad finisher. She just hits really hard. So I, I was expecting it to be uh, just a situation where I wasn't expecting it to be fucking like a crazy war like it was. It was was insanely exciting and and very fun to watch.
0: Yeah, also, am I wrong, but the fight definitely should have been stopped in the second round.
1: Oh, I agree. I think the fight uh, could have been stopped for like 30 seconds at one point. (laughs) Just because, I mean, you could have also stopped it between rounds just because it looked like Dern had a lot of fight beaten out of her. She just, she looks like that. She just looks dejected even when she's doing fine.
0: You know, Dern tried to rush in on Le and she did did just a nice little like back stepping counter right hand, dinged Mackenzie real bad, and then just chases her around, punching her in the head, fucking blasted her in the eye with a left hook, which, uh dropped Mackenzie Dern. But uh, to me, it didn't look like a knockdown in the sense that like it, it buckled her legs. It looked like she went ow, fuck my eye, because I'm pretty sure he, she got her orbital broken from that left hook. Massive credit to Mackenzie Dunn for being, even being able to stay in a fight like that, because that is nasty shit that you normally just see uh, end a fight instantly. But at the same time, uh, criticism is definitely due to Amanda Lemos for her general brain thinking and uh, inability to get the job done because she just insisted on... Uh, following Mackenzie Dern uh, to the ground when like you know Mackenzie Dunn can be completely unconscious and still have insane guard retention and just deny you the space that you actually need to get good offense off on her and you know get her shit together and get the sweep that she did which by by that point Lemosh was just like probably physically and mentally gassed from hitting someone with all of her best offense and not being able to get them out of there and just kind of like let Mackenzie Dern keep coming at her in the third round but at the same time I don't know how how much shit I'm going to give Lemosh for that when like she basically did knock Mackenzie Dern out and the fight absolutely should have been stopped at that point in my opinion
1: that's fair Uh, Mackenzie Dern's just hard to finish anyways I I think someone that doesn't have good finishing practices or doesn't go to the body very much is just going to have a bunch of issue like getting her out of there and, and Mackenzie Dern also has a problem with her grappling uh, where sometimes she's not very good at submitting people. She, like, her jiu-jitsu will always look clean. Like, she's going to hit a six sweep or, like, a a really fucking nice stand-up maybe. Like, like, she'll do something cool on the ground that people will clip and, like, show on Reddit. But her submission ability is really hampered by uh, – it, it seems like the MMA gloves and also – uh, whenever she gets knocked around it just she gets worse at jiu-jitsu it's that fucking old shit where it's like each punch you lose a belt you know like you lose a belt
0: rank I think part of it is that I think it's also that like much like in the Marina Rodriguez fight you know one of the ways that jiu-jitsu and MMA is dramatically different to sport jiu-jitsu is that it's really fucking hard to submit someone who is fine with losing the round and just doesn't want to be submitted. The level of jujitsu that you need to be at to just not get submitted by someone who's as good at jujitsu uh, as Mackenzie does, like the difference in level th- that needs to be there is
1: huge. Well, she's also just not much of a grap, like a submission finisher. She's always just been very good at jujitsu. Like Even looking at her early fights, her first ever MMA fight was a decision. Then her third MMA fight was a decision. Uh, got another one a few fights later. Like She she goes to decision quite a lot for someone of her caliber.
0: I also do have to wonder just how many of those fights are just her refusing to do jiu-jitsu because she actually does just kind of like to bang.
1: Well, the Ashley Yoder fight, she was trying to submit Ashley Yoder the entire time, but Ashley Yoder just is good at defending herself from having her back taken. And also couldn't really get uh, grappling situations too much because uh, if someone else seems like similarly like a, a jiu-jitsu specialist, they'll just fucking defend against like the initial grappling stage and then be back on the feet or clinch her up.
0: Yeah, this is what I mean. You only need to be as good at jiu-jitsu as Ashley Yoda to not get submitted by someone as good as Mackenzie Dunn.
1: Well, and everyone she's submitted looking at it is just people that Will get submitted if they're fighting a grappler like Nina Nunez, Ronda Marcos, Hannah Cyphers, literally every single person like each of those fighters has lost to almost every committed grappler they fought Uh, unless it's like Nina Nunez being able to to like defend the wrestling of, of Tatiana Suarez to a decision. I guess. I guess she hasn't been submitted much. That's wrong of me. Sorry, Nina Nunez. But she, like, she was she was old by that point. It was like a, it just like kind of bad decision once they got her her arm barred What I'm getting is I I just don't value Mackenzie Darn as like a submission finisher really at this point. I think I did for the longest time.
0: It just hasn't worked out for her at the higher level of the division. You know.
1: Yeah, everyone there is is very insistent on not being submitted. They'll just be negative until they get to the next round.
0: If you look at the straw weight rankings and go, oh, who, who's the best person that could lose by submission to Mackenzie Dern? You'd be like, ah, Amanda Lemosh, Marina Rodriguez, Angela Hill.
1: Yeah, all people she just couldn't finish because they're stronger than her. Because a- she actually has a big problem with just not being very strong. I think that is a, a main factor. Most people that have a lot of submissions in the UFC are way stronger than most of their opponents, so.
0: Okay, so uh, Junior Taffer stepped in uh, 24 hours short notice to fight Marcos Rogerio de Lima and got low kick TKO'd. Uh, Fair play to Junior Taffer. The guy's obviously got huge nuts, but... um, Frail legs.
1: You know what they say about a dude with big nuts. Fucking weak
0: legs. And, you know, 24 hours notice, guy wasn't in camp. I think it if he had at least had a fight camp, he could have pref- prepared himself enough to just like not get smoked by basically like the first low kick that landed fine.
1: Yeah, and and is just someone that's gonna, gonna throw big ass punches that you have to respect and then low kick you if he's able to get an issue on you. And and he was also he seemed a lot larger than Tafa. Yeah, dude, dude. short notice, it just, shit happens. Yeah.
0: Yeah, Junior Taffer's not a particularly huge heavyweight. Uh, De Lima an absolute fucking monolith who uh, will also impose a kind of shitty top game advantage if he's fighting someone who like can't wrestle.
1: This is the least I've ever held getting leg kick TKO'd against someone. Absolutely, because um, I like Marcos Rogério De Lima. I think he uh, generally he's pretty alright. Like I. I had I known that this was what the fight was going to be, or had I known that it was going to be this tough he was fighting out, I would have picked for Jared Lima by, like, Ixdko or something.
0: Um. So what else was good on this card? Like, <laughs> N- like, none I mean, of the it...
1: fights were particularly good, necessarily, but uh, Mingyang Zhang, Danny Barlow, Oban Elliott, all pretty good. Oh, Andrew Lee's shot.
0: Yeah, uh, Mingyang Zhang's knockout over Branson Hibero, just a nice ass two three was a cool knockout uh danny barlow is just like huge and athletic as fuck and josh quinlan josh quinlan's a lot of fun but he is a short-armed pocket rocket who does not have a ranged game or really a way of initiating the exchanges that he needs to win fights so someone who's just like ten times the size of him and hits really hard it was just going to be a bad time. It was a fucking wonky knockout as well. It started from like a from from like a hammer fist jab counter. But Danny Barlow's fun though. He's a maniac.
1: Renya Nakamura needs to get better at jujitsu. Great wrestler, not great at jujitsu. It
0: appears. And this fight was just whack.
1: Yeah, he was fighting someone that that fight the grapples very negatively. And it is annoying for someone that isn't a a high level jiu jitsu guy. Like, he won comfortably, but it was still, he just looked like he was discontented the whole fight.
0: Yeah, at least he didn't actually get submitted by any of those stupid leg entanglement attempts. No,
1: despite Rogan proclaiming that it was close, it was literally never close.
0: Really was not. uh, Nakamura just like easily stayed on top and just had a conservative three-round decision where he did not get submitted. Carlos Vera shouldn't really be here, to be honest. No,
1: and hearing people go crazy about the the jiu-jitsu attempt by people, I mean Joe Rogan, was just really funny because if you're not watching the rest of the fight and you just look at a screenshot of the fight and be like, oh, well, he looks like his leg might be getting wrapped up real quick, then fair. But if you're watching the fight and you've already seen him out-strength the guy and just fucking move out of a position when he decides to... Like 18 times by the point that he first actually got a good bite on the leg, then like maybe I I if you didn't see that I could understand thinking that it was close, but he was perfectly fine the entire time. So we at least know his jujitsu defense is serviceable because he's he's a big prospect. He's he's supposed to be really good, but I I would need to see him either make some leaps in the striking or or just like get a lot more concise with his jujitsu game
0: and andrea lee is shot she has always been glacially slow but at least she used to come to throw down and now she just just looks like she doesn't know what she's doing out there
1: lost the fight in her it looks like
0: yeah which you hate to see
1: or the the most shitty type of uh of shot to be she should try dating a different neo-nazi she was better back when she did the other one.
0: And Miranda Maverick looked fine. Yeah. She got a job looked done. Looked
1: like she always does. <laughs> yeah. Which is kind of a is kind of a bad thing. She, she should be making more market improvements at, at this age.
0: Okay, so I guess quick hits on this UFC Mexico card before we get out of here. Um, kind of weird, it only occurred to me earlier that both of the top two fights on this card are rematches of fights that ended by a first round free calm injury? Particularly because I for some reason my memory of Moreno Royal in particular was just that Moreno kind of won easily because that's probably what most people would expect to happen in a matchup. Um and you know, he was on his way to winning like it it was a scrappy enough fight as long as it stayed on the feet because Brandon Moreno for all of the improvements he's made as a boxer it, I just think he's still that wacky brawler that we saw in his early days of the UFC deep down uh, you know he he's got a lot more defensive moves he's got like an actual process now he's got a great jab that he builds off he's got he's got some head movement but for, for all of that he has gotten better defensively, he has not really gotten more defensively responsible, which is a distinction that we have to make often. Dude just loves to throw down too much for his own good. Um, it was just the fact that uh, Brandon Royville can't wrestle. And we just saw Brandon Royville in a fight where he couldn't wrestle. I, I guess made a good account of himself to be able to go to decision with someone who uh, in their previous fight just finished him as soon as he got a good entry on the back but it was uh his actual defensive wrestling didn't look any better and and uh, he really struggled to improve position when, whenever uh Pantoja actually got him down cleanly so I'm like even though the fight ended by a weird somewhat freak injury I'm like do I actually expect it to go any different this time
1: I don't expect the result to change but I expect it to go differently you know what I mean yeah, I, I I think that uh rival is going to probably have a sick fucking scramble with him for most of the first round and just not injure his shoulder. And then in the second round, probably like gas from the crazy pace because he does slow down. He slowed down pretty hard in his last fight. I don't know if it was, I would consider it gassing necessarily, but it, it, he slowed down and, and Moreno to this point. He still didn't really slow down much against. uh Pantoja, like he did, because it went five rounds, but he didn't slow down very much. I, I think that he can he can outpace uh, Royville, and also I don't think that Royville has too much. He can get done in the striking offense because most of his best offense or when he, whenever he gets the ball rolling is is either a nice counter shot as the guy steps in weird, which Moreno does do, but he's just so fast and got a great chin that I don't expect he'll he'll get like I'm, I'm not expecting him to get fucking spinning elbow countered.
0: Uh, well, yeah, because uh, Royville tried that in the first fight. Got his back taken. <laughs> got his back taken and then lost.
1: Yeah. So, if that spinning elbow lands instead of him getting his back taken, then you know he has something that he can actually get something done with. But uh, I just, I just think that Moreno's really good at stifling this type of fight from a guy and and getting his own shit going. Like I, I think it'll probably finish him with sub in the second round.
0: Yeah, that's fair. Um, and it's just the thing that he, he, even if. Royal lands the spinning elbow clean I just still expect Brandon Moreno To be able to eat it It's not that he's never been hurt But he's never really been close to getting knocked out
1: Yeah, the closest he's been was the I believe the third Figueroa fight, was it?
0: Uh, yeah, I think so And still I, I never really thought he was in danger Of getting finished at any point
1: Yeah, no, he, he just, just badly hurt
0: I find it hard to see Roival being able to like uh, punish Moreno's entries consistently enough to land one of those crazy counters, like the spinning elbow or the the big knee that he got on Nicolaou. And similarly, I find it difficult to imagine him being able to overwhelm Moreno and just like chase him around hitting him and making him really uncomfortable and to force him to start making bad decisions. Like he, like uh, Royal did against Carcara, France.
1: It's just such a hard fight Hard fight for Royvall to actually be able to get sustained success in because of the speed difference and, and the fact that Moreno is probably going to, uh, like the first fight, just look like he's in fast forward mode.
0: Yeah, and just has such a significant uh, ranged offense advantage.
1: Got better defense for what his game is as well. Like, I, I wouldn't call Moreno a defensive savant or anything, but he, he's pretty good at slipping jabs. He's pretty good at staying at a good range.
0: Yeah, and he's not just going to get pushed back for free and overreact and let himself get caught with some silly shit. And Roival is just, you know, he hurts people with stuff when he sells out, but when he's trying to have, like, a consistent, like, measured fight where he where he tries to just fight with sort of, like, non-committal ranged volume, he just doesn't have the mechanics on that kind of stuff to be able to uh command any sort of respect on that
1: and no it's very slappy
0: yeah and um brandon moreno's got a great jab and good kicks moreno is not a defensive savant but roival is the raw dog no protection
1: i i think there's a, a very there, there's an okay route for roival if he can find ways to land knees or elbows reliably I, I think that his punching power isn't necessarily a problem. I just think that he needs really hard weapons to, to get people hurt with how bad his mechanics can tend to be. And his mechanics on his elbows and knees are just better than his, his straight
0: punches. Yeah, which is like, how does that happen?
1: And his round kicks, too. Like, his round kicks look like shit often. And I think that's another problem is I think Rival's going to be losing the kicking battle. He's probably going to be kicking more actively, but anytime. Moreno kicks, it's going to do something. And anytime Rebel kicks, it's going to try to set up something that doesn't land because he's too slow.
0: Yeah, Moreno's got that great left kick that he just yep. seemed to abandon for large portions of his career, but was the, like a, a huge cornerstone of both of his victories over Kai France.
1: And a staple of his game going back quite a while. Uh, like, he, it's always been a weapon he's favored. It, it just wasn't as good until.
0: Uh, uh, yeah, I think, I think the first Kai France fight. Yeah, it's been good since,
1: really, he came back to the UFC. Like, after his little bit of time and his, like, one fight in LFA.
0: So, yeah, I mean, Roival, he, he just needs to make this fight messy. He needs to force stupid 50-50 exchanges. I just think as long as Moreno is uh, keeping behind that jab and uh, staying reasonably disciplined, it, it's just going to be real, really hard for Royval to trick him. And then there's the fact that Brandon Moreno is just a really solid player Positional grappler who has that as a safety valve is 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 a motherfucker of a fight for Brandon Rival.
1: I agree. I, I'm going to pick Moreno by second round submission. I, I my brain wants to say club and sub, but I just don't expect Moreno to to like be hunting for too much striking offense by that point. I think if it goes later, then there's a good chance that Moreno can get a TKO.
0: I wouldn't be surprised. He he like dinged Roival with a left hook uh, in the first like couple of minutes of their first fight
1: yeah that that was so long ago or uh, particularly from Reino because he's been fucking living through dog years with with all the fucking Figueredo fights when he last fought he was just a boy but now he's like 55 and grizzled
0: yeah you know Brandon Roival has also taken a ton of damage since then so that is true I
1: think that his chin is probably worse for wear than it was at that point. But uh, generally, I think he's a lot safer of a fighter.
0: Yeah, I just question how much being a safer fighter actually uh, benefits someone who calls himself the raw dog. (laughs) Okay, so co main event. We got um, Yaya Rodriguez versus Brian Ortega running that one back. Glad to see they're doing that over five rounds again.
1: And I want to say, going into it, I kind of just count the last fight as a submission win for E.I. Year. Oh, yeah, that's absolutely fair. Because, like, he tried a submission and then he broke his arm. What, he didn't break his arm, like, technically correct? He still broke his arm by grabbing it real hard. <laughs> like, if you if your opponent is that physically frail that you can fucking yank on their arm, then there's a good chance you were just about to submit them anyways.
0: Yeah, I, I, I guess what people took away from that is that just, like, Brian Ortega has been so injury-ridden that it was just like, oh, it was just that old thing. It's like, well, yeah, but maybe that's just a consistent way to beat Brian Ortega at this point. Because I have to say, I am concerned about Brian Ortega. Um, He has taken such long periods out between every fight and had fights canceled because of injuries and also taken two of the worst shit kickings we've ever seen in title fights. You know, his only win since he beat Frankie Edgar was... Korean Zombie. Over a yeah, a very weathered Korean zombie. Who <laughs> I do think that fight made people think his boxing was looking a lot deeper than it was. Because, I mean, a you know, Korean zombie doesn't like fighting southpaws with an active jab who uh, don't give him clean counter opportunities and who just have the fucking chin to eat the counter. But also, Brian take basically just knocked the Korean zombie out with that spinning elbow. And I always just say. <laughs> If someone basically gets finished in a fight and then the fight still goes on, you can somewhat just disregard everything that happens in the fight after that point. Like the Korean zombie said himself that he like was on total autopilot mode and he just he has no idea what was going on after he after he got hit with that elbow.
1: And Ortega was coming back from fucking one of the worst shit kickings that you've ever seen in your entire life. So I, I do not disparage him at all. For just taking the four rounds, or the, the rest of the rounds after, and not really hunting a finish. It, but also, that was four years ago. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Brian Ortega has not won in four years, which is the biggest uh, indictment against him being ranked nine,
0: for whatever reason. It does make me worry that his prime just kind of absolutely vanished at some point in that whole process.
1: I actually... I So, I get what you're saying completely and i don't disagree i just think he looked perfectly fine against volkanovsky he looked like a good fighter still he looked like he deserved his ranking spot i think and then against yair he did he, but then he
0: got destroyed and then how long ago was that fight that was three years ago and how long has he had to be out because of injury since then uh well he
1: fought volk uh, in twenty twenty one, and then uh, like 10 months later he fought yair rodriguez and then since then, it would, that fight was uh, in mid-2022. So he hasn't fought since mid-2022.
0: Yeah, it, it, it's concerning. Definitely
1: concerning, and I, I don't disagree with that at all. That's certainly a factor when trying to analyze this type of fight. But you could honestly probably just like go back and watch last time we, we did an episode on this fight and then uh, just replay my audio. Because it's like the same pick. I think the fight, I don't think the dynamic of the fight's changed.
0: Uh, uh, No, I don't disagree with that either. I don't think we actually got a breakdown in for this one last time it happened for whatever reason. But I will say my main read for this one going in was that Yaya Rodriguez is going to surprise everyone, including Brian Ortega, with how okay he is at Jiu Jitsu
1: (laughs) and just how fucking fast and, and powerful he is. Because similar to the main event, this is a guy that has a pretty pronounced speed advantage that is going to be able to hang with the other guy in his best realm, except uh, he's he's probably just going to fucking blow him out of the water again, I would expect.
0: Yeah, because I mean, I would say this is a very pronounced speed advantage. Brian Ortega is kind of glacially slow for a featherweight.
1: And then is the fastest guy in the weight class.
0: I do think that's a big part of what makes... Yaya's ground game so shocking to a lot of people is that uh, being as well as being a crazy explosive speed athlete, he also just has no fear about just trying some crazy shit. So if you give him an opportunity to jump on an armbar, he's gonna fucking wrench that shit like qu- uh, quicker than you can even like respond defensively to it. And even though most people would probably say that Brian Ortega is a much deeper pure boxer than Yaya Rodriguez. Yair Rodriguez was just lighting him up with one-twos for as long as this fight was on the feet because he has both a massive speed and range advantage.
1: Yeah, and I'm, I'm going to refrain from uh, just talking about the fight as if it's a, a clear-cut victory for Yair already. Because, you know, there's to play devil's advocate, but there is a very good chance that had uh, Ortega not had his arm exploded, Yair would have just given his backup and then gotten his back taken and choked or something. Uh,
0: Oh, absolutely. Like in
1: that exact like sequence, it's like, you know, go back in time, see what happens. If he doesn't injure his arm, maybe some, something else happens or maybe he just hangs in there until Yair makes a stupid spin and then like gives us back some shit. But, uh, I do think Yair has a, a pretty distinct advantage in it. And I think both fighters off of a win, probably just get a title shot or take a deserves it a lot less i would say but yeah year is coming off of a loss to to volk which happens to the best of us so that like that's not even a bad enough loss to where it's like oh he's he's won one his last two can't give a title shot i think it's fair enough there's not really anyone else that deserves a title shot right now other than volk
0: yeah i mean it's kind of how they've just like set up the matchmaking in this division at this point well and it's not just in featherweight that kind of once you're established as one of those guys you get to just fight other guys in the top five to get a title shot every time you know
1: max holloway being at lightweight right now it just makes the whole situation super cut and dry it seems like whoever wins this fight gets a title shot even though one of their last fights was a title shot
0: Well, I mean, Iliad Taporia said he's not remotely interested in fighting Holloway or Rodriguez, and he just wants an open-weight fight with Conor McGregor. Yeah,
1: yeah, if Teporia wants to just hold up the vision, fair enough. Do your thing, bro. But I think him versus Yair is really exciting. I I think that him versus Ortega is fucking boring. I I think uh, Teporia just beats the fucking shit out of him.
0: think he smokes
1: Ortega. Yeah, I think he knocks him
0: out in a round. I think he probably also smokes Yaya Rodriguez, but you know Yaya Rodriguez, he just has that what the fuck factor where he you just has. you want to see you want to see him in these matchups because he's perfectly capable of pulling out some crazy shit. And it's like you know if you've if you've uh, shown yourself to be left high kickable and nearly got fucking wiped out by Jai Herbert, you know that's that's interesting. You can sell that to me.
1: Well, I am just thinking. Remember Yaya using spinning elbows to defuse pressure against Max Holloway. That would have—it's basically like seeing if Ilya Tapuria can beat the striking equivalent of Ryan Hall, <laughs> a guy who's kind of dangerous in one round, like
0: three hundred times more athletic.
1: Yeah, three hundred times more athletic and probably better, strictly speaking, at submitting people in MMA. Uh, it, so it's just—it's—it's it's funny because I think there is a like an eighty percent chance that uh, Tapuria just fucking knocks Yair out unconscious by punching him in the back of the head if Jair tries some spinning shit to defend against pressure against the cage. But also, maybe he just lands an elbow. And if you can get Ilias to respect, which I think anyone tall with a really fast 1-2 can, uh, then I think he can get Tapuria moving backwards, hit a big huge head kick on him, uh, land some good body kicks, because uh, Volk was having good success just landing body kicks pretty much free. That were moving to Peria, they were they were off putting his his balance more so than even the inside low kicks were, but I, I think it just it showed so much for uh for Yair to build off of going into a fight, and he seems like a like a thinking fighter in his own way. He's like he's a, he's a very weird fighter, but he he obviously comes into his fights prepared for his opponent. But fucking great fight. I'm expecting it to go hopefully longer than it did last time and not have an injury so that people can have a decisive uh, victory that that everyone else is is cool with and not just me thinking that it's basically just a sub win.
0: So yeah, um, the rest of this card is fine. Uh, I like Manuel Torres versus Chris Duncan. Should be a banger.
1: Christian Quinonez versus Hanny Barcelos is just weird.
0: It's weird, but you know it's the kind of fights that they have been giving how many and does really surprise me. This card doesn't give me a turn to latch onto from a, a pre-fight analysis perspective, but I expect it to be bangers pretty much top to top.
1: Yeah, sneaky, probably best fight in the card for me is Victor Altamirano versus Felipe Dos Santos.
0: Yeah, I was just going to say Felipe, Felipe Dos Santos made a really good account of himself in a super short notice debut against Manal Cape.
1: And Victor Altamirano is real fucking weird, and I think pretty good. He, he has uh, s- some losses, of course, but he, that's why I think he's fun. Not necessarily the best.
0: Yeah, you know, it's a Mexico card. Should be a great vibe. Should be, uh, should be violent as fuck. Sure, it'll be fun. We'll talk about it next week. Yeah, later. Bye. Oh, um, yeah. Well, I'll tell you what we're not fucking talking about next week. Fucking UFC fight night Rosenstruck versus Gazaev.